Good morning again. On the lines of the song, there's a place where sin and shame are powerless. Do you really believe that? Because for me, maybe like you, I'm tempted to let shame have the final word in my life. Tempted to think of sins in my past, the big ones, and let shame stay there. Maybe you're the same. Maybe you've got a couple of big ones to your account. Maybe it's not the shame of your own sin that you're carrying on to and the shame of your own sin that's trapped you and keeps you. Maybe it's the shame of someone else's sin against you. There's a place where sin and all of your shame is powerless. It's the place that displays the love of the Father to you. It's the place that displays the love of the Father that doesn't change because of your failures. It redeems them. And it doesn't change based on what's been done to you. It redeems them. It's the cross. That's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at the love of the Father for us that fills us and then sends us out into the world to love the world like we've been loved. Let's pray, and then we'll be looking at 1 John chapter 4. So, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters throughout this room what I pray for myself. Help us to know by faith and by experience that we are loved. And we're not loved because we perform for you. We're not loved because we're good enough to be loved. We're not loved because we've done the right things. We're not loved because we're sitting in this room today. We're loved because you are love. And in Jesus, you've chosen to set your affections on us. You've chosen to love us. You've cleared the slate. You've cleaned the record. You've given us the perfect score of your son. We're loved. Help us to know that, God. I know there are people in this room just like me. We need to know we're loved. We don't need to know it as a concept. We don't need to know it as a theological truth. We need to know it as the reality of our heart and our life and our identity. We are defined by a Father who loves us. Would you make that true? Would you make that wonderfully true? Would you bring healing into lives? Because there's that gaping emptiness of lovelessness that's filled by your perfect love. Father, would you do it? In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to John chapter 4 as we're picking back up our series on assurance. And John wrote his book to combat false teachers who were trying to pull them away from the goodness of Jesus and pull them away from the sufficiency of Jesus. He wrote it against them so they would identify them and walk away from false teachers, but he also wrote it for the faithful believers. He wants you to know and rest and believe and live in the assurance that you're his. And so that's the book. And so it's kind of two main segments. Segment one, God is light. God is light. That is, he is a life giver. He is pure. He is righteous. Everything that belongs to eternal life is what God is. That's his nature. And so when he wins people to himself, when he pursues people to himself, he brings them out of death and into eternal life. And so our life now has an eternal dimension. Our life is no longer a temporary Our life is no longer about the moment. It is about this eternal flourishing. It is about life that's really life in all of its fullness. 
as opposed to a life of death where there's decay and there's corruption and there's sin and there's destruction. And, and, and that's where we were and we've been rescued to life and flourishing. God is light and God is also love. And that's the section we're in now. God is love. And it's not just love with our words because that's what we tend to. Yeah, love. It's love with our actions. It's love that has filled our hearts and comes out in our action. It's a love that we have received in the gospel that we then model and give to all the people around us, especially those who are part of the family of faith. It's a love that models the gospel love. And so it's a love in our heart that works its way out into our actions. Um, he's coming out of at the beginning of chapter 4. I know it's been a while. The beginning of chapter 4, he gave a really pointed, heated message about discernment. Right? And he said... Everything that's spiritual isn't the Holy Spirit. Did you know there's more than one kind of spirit in the world? Not every spirit's the Holy Spirit. And so he gave them this pointed message that you need to put to the test every spirit, every message, every teacher that you hear. Put them to the test. Because not everything that's spiritual is of the Holy Spirit. And he gave them the test of make sure it is a full, robust, wonderfully rich picture of Jesus. Not just parts of Jesus, not just emphasizing little parts of Jesus we like, but there's this big, glorious, grand picture of Jesus. Test him by that. Test him by the word of God. Does it say what God says? Does it say it in the way that God says it? Does it say that all all of what God says are just parts of it? And so there's those objective ones, but then it also says, put it to the test by the Holy Spirit that's in you. Does the Holy Spirit, not your spirit, does the Holy Spirit bear witness to the message? Does the Holy Spirit bear witness to the teacher? And so put them to the test. And so after kind of pointing them out and saying, look, if people left, those false teachers that left and all the people that followed them, they went out from us because they don't belong to us. And so we kind of... God, now he's going to pull it back and he's going to wrap them back in some warmth and some pastoral care. And he's going to talk about love. And so that's where we are. Let's read chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, those loved by God, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And so, I want you to follow the train in this main point. God is love. You are deeply loved. So, love. Okay? God is love. You are deeply loved in the gospel. And the only natural, gospel natural result that is possible in your life, so love Others. And so here's the kind of the point I wanted to make. We love as those who have been loved, not as those who need love. Do you see the difference? Like, if I love as somebody who needs love, then I'm going to kind of work whatever it takes to get back from you the response I need. I need you to love me to fill me up. I need you to love me to make me whole. But that is not true of us. We have been loved by God 
fully, completely, perfectly. And that perfect, full, complete love for us empowers us to go love others without needing to be anything in return. I don't need love back because I've got all the love that I could possibly need in the gospel. So we love as people who have been loved, not as people who need love. See the difference? All right, I want to make sure we get that. So we've got this new nature defined by the God of love. We've got a new nature that has been defined by the God of love. And if it's defined by the God of love and love is a family trait and love is who we are now, then the simple response is that we go out and we do love. We do who we are. And we do it the way God has done it. And so that's what we're going to see in this, throughout this passage is the way God has loved. He has displayed love in the shape of a cross. And so the shape of the cross defines and shapes our love going towards others. So let's look. Point one, God is the source of love, and our love displays that we belong to him. God is the source of love, and our love displays that we belong to him. So you may have been raised in a church where there was a view of God that he was always slightly disapproving of you. Maybe more than slightly. It had a view of God that God was this ominous judge that was always looking for you to step out of line so he could get you. And it was like God's mission in life to zap people. Like he's sitting up there with a cosmic buzzer just waiting for you to step over the line and bam. And that may have shaped your view of God. This ominous judge who's always slightly upset with you, barely tolerating you. Maybe that's the home you grew up in too. Maybe it wasn't just your church, it was your home. And there was not love in your home. There was not a sense of acceptance in your home. There was not a sense of approval coming from your parents into your life. And you lived your life without a sense of acceptance, without a sense of approval. There was always this slightly upset, slightly disapproving stance out of your parents. And you you didn't feel a sense of acceptance from them or pride from them. Maybe you grew up and it was a place where your home was absent people that should have been there. Or maybe you grew up in a home that was abusive and it displayed a totally wrong picture of what it should have been. Maybe you're somebody that didn't grow up in church at all, but the view that you got out of the church about God was like that he is this condemning, vengeful, angry God. And so what I want to do is I want to speak to you from this text today. And I want to ask you to let this text wash over you and redefine rightly God for you. And if this is your experience, you're coming out of that, if that is your experience, I want to ask you to just simply, that little simple prayer, God, would you let this truth become true to my experience? Would you wash me in the experience of these truths? Because God is love. God is love. And God loves you in Jesus. And he loves you in Jesus perfectly. And he loves you in Jesus and he's not keeping score anymore. He loves you in Jesus and it doesn't matter how well you've performed for him. He loves you in Jesus and it doesn't matter if you're good enough. In fact, you're not. He loves you in Jesus and it doesn't matter how you look. It doesn't matter your background. And so I want to encourage you, would you just let the truths of God's perfect love in Jesus wash over your life and redefine the way you look at him? 
Because it is only as people who have experienced the goodness of God's love over our lives who can then walk out into other people and love them the way that displays God. And so I'm sorry if your background or your family or your church has made God look different than he is, but would you let God redefine himself for you in passages like this? Because that's what it's designed to do. You are loved perfectly by God, and when you believe that, you'll find that your capacity to love others radically expands way beyond the normal boundaries that we like to put on our love for each other. And so let's look at it in the text. A quick overview of the text. God is love. That's his nature. He is the source of all love. He is love. His nature, his core nature is love. Now, it's not just love. It's all love, but it's also all a lot of things. He's a big God. But his core nature is love. God has actively loved you in Jesus. He has loved you from death to life. He has loved you from spiritual death to spiritual life. He has loved you into a new birth. He has loved you uh, in a way that satisfies his wrath against sin and cleanses you of all your sins. He has actively loved you in Jesus. He is love. He's actively loved you in Jesus. He's shown his love for you in the cross. And so the natural response, so love one another. So love one another. The way you've been loved by God, love others in that way. What God has done to you, loved you, let him do through you, love others. And so that's the point. That's the kind of the encapsulation of this passage. Now let's dig into it a little bit. He starts out, beloved. By the way, when he says that, you know what he's saying? He's saying, you are loved by God. To the ones loved by God. The beloved ones of God. So, for those who have been loved by God, let us love one another. It's an exhortation. It's an encouragement. Let's love one another. And so let's define that, because you're like, okay, you know, we love t-shirts, and we love cars, and we love football, and we love our family. What is love? Right? Because we don't have a really good definition of that. Here's a definition we've been using over the, the past couple of months. So, love is valuing someone that leads you to joyfully sacrifice for their highest good without expecting anything in return or needing anything in return. I'll say it again. Love is valuing. It is putting a value, a treasure, a worth on another person or on God that leads you to joyfully sacrifice for their highest good. Now think about this. Like we live out of treasure. So if I've got something that is very valuable to me, then it is not a sacrifice to get rid of something that is less valuable. And that's what love is. I love, I value this person, and so sacrifice isn't sacrifice. It's giving up something less for something that I value more. But it's defined by their highest good, their God-defined good. And it doesn't need anything back in return. Okay? Make sense? So, brothers and sisters, beloved of God, let us value other people around us because of God, what God has done to us. Let us value people around us. Let us joyfully sacrifice for all the people in our lives and for the people who are far from God. Let us value them and sacrifice for them for their best and highest good without ever needing anything back in return. Why don't I need anything in return? Because love that is poured out on me is this never-ending flow sourced in God. All right? Let us love one another. And then the rest of the text is going to be, why should I? Or how can I? Like, why should I love people? And I think there's some sufficient answers to that question in this passage. 
I hope you find them sufficient, especially if you've been met with the gospel or if you have met the gospel of Jesus, you will find them sufficient. So why? For, he says, the reason why, for love is from God. God is the source of every drop of love you'll ever experience in your life, every genuine drop of love that you experience in your life. So every genuine love, like we're defining it, every cross kind of love that will ever enter your life, God's the source of it. God is this source that a river of love flows out of with inexhaustible riches of goodness. God is the source, the the head of the river of love that will flow into the world. And so every drop of genuine love you've ever tasted in your life flows from God. And there's a sense in which common grace, like all of humanity experiences some version of love, no matter how distorted or or little or, or, or messed up. There's this common grace love, but that's not the love he's talking about here. He's talking about the kind of love that only comes to those that the cross is stamped on and only flows out of those who have been redeemed. It's only possible. And so God is, or all love is from God. All gospel love flows out of God into our life. That's why we should love other people. Because this never-ending source of love that's flowed into our life, it's just not meant to contain it. It will go sour If you let it sit in your life, it will grow putrid and moss covered and disgusting if you let it sit inside your life. But when it flows into your life and out of your life into others, it's this continually replenishing, purified, beautiful, life giving stream that comes into you and comes out of you. And it will be true in your experience. It'll be clean and life giving. And it'll be true as it comes out of you. And it'll be clean and life giving. Let us love. Why? Because God's the source of all true love that will ever flow into your life and ever flow out of your life. What's, the other re- what's another reason? Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. The end of chapter 2 through chapter 5, eight times this phrase is used, born of God, born of God. What is he trying to say? You are a new person. You are born into a new family. You have a new identity. And that new person, that new family, that new identity, do you know what the family trait is? It's not brown hair and green eyes. It's love. It's not social status, it's love. It's not ethnicity, it's love. What's the family trait of those who have a God whose source is love and whose God is love? What's the family trait? It's love. And so when we love, we show that we have been born into the family whose hallmark is love. And when we don't love, that's the next verse, we show we're not part of that family. We don't have that trait in our life. And so, beloved, love one another. Why? Because love sources in God. Love one another. Why? Because love gives evidence that the gospel has taken root in our lives. Love puts God on display as the reality of what he's done in me is pictured out in the world around me. Love does that. So love in a way that does that. Now, let's make an important clarification here. Because you might be tempted to think, okay, I'm going to go start loving. I'm going to do my best to love people, and then God will love me. I'm going to go start loving people and earn my salvation or at least a part of it back from God. That is absolutely not what we're talking about. You have been loved in the gospel of Jesus from the God who sources love, from a father, from a dad who is marked by love for his children. You've been loved that way. And so the only natural, the only response that can come from that is love for others. And so love gives evidence of a salvation that's already there. Love flows out of a salvation that's already present. And so it just bears witness to the reality of that gospel in your life. 
It just bears witness to the reality of one who's been loved like this. Let us love, because whoever loves has been born. They have this new nature, new identity, new family who's love, and they show it by their love. Let us love, because they love and they know God. How do I know if you know the God who is love? That's a pretty simple answer, right? I love people. How do I know that I know the God of love? I become an increasingly loving person. How do I know that I know God's love? How do I know that I experience God's love? Because in an ongoing way, that love that I've experienced comes out in my life and I love other people. That's how. That's why. And that's what he drives into in this text. Excuse me. So... Whoever his loves has been born of God. This kind of love now, cross kind of love, not just nice people. This kind of love, cross kind of love, knows God, loves God. And so we've got to ask ourselves a question. There's two parts to this. Do you know? Do you believe? Do you know that you are loved by the Father? Do you know? And I don't mean with just your mind. And I don't mean with just your concepts and your logic. I don't mean just your theological box checked. Do you know by your experience and by the eyes of faith that you are perfectly loved by God the Father? That Dad loves you. That Dad's proud of you in Jesus. Do you know that? Then the second question. Do you love people? Do you love people the way you've been loved? That's the question that's being asked here. And he goes, because he wants to emphasize this point in our life, he goes to the next and he gives the the converse, the, the, the negative of the positive. And what's the negative? Anyone who does not love, hear this, if we don't love, we don't know God. That makes sense, right? I can't believe and know and treasure and rejoice in the God who is love. That's what it means to be saved, by the way, to believe and to know and to rejoice. I can't treasure the God who is love. And not love. And so if I don't love, it means I don't treasure and know in a saving way the God who is love. And that's what he says in the text. Whoever does not love in a cross kind of way does not know God. Why, you might ask. And he answers it for us. God is love. That's a nature statement. His essence, he is love. And so the degree to which we love other people is the degree to which we are experiencing the love of the Father in the gospel. You see that? On one end of the spectrum, I love. I love people different than me. I love people sacrificially. I love the outsider. I love my enemies. I love in a way that gives of myself over and over and over to people. Because I've been given and loved as an outsider and loved as someone who is different and loved as someone who needed a sacrifice by God. I've got this gospel experience that gives me radical sacrificial love for people. All people, different people, wonderful diversity of people or no love. And what I would say is no love, it's kind of that natural love. The people that are like me, I like them pretty well. The people that, you know, kind of agree with me on stuff, I like them too. The people that serve me and make me feel good about myself, uh, yeah, I love them. That's called no love. Really, it's not no love. You know what it's called? It's called self-love. I love myself really well, and I love you if you love me well. That's called no love, 
And do you know what the equation of no love is? No gospel. The gospel doesn't live in loveless hearts. The gospel does not live. And listen to me. I don't care how, I don't care what you say with your mouth about God or theology. I don't care what you say with your religious life. I don't care how many churches you've been a member of. I don't care how much money you've given. I don't care anything you've done in religious service to God. If you don't love people, just, it's the Holy Spirit. No, it's the Bible, not, not Chris. If you don't love people, all that is irrelevant. You don't know God. You don't know God if you don't love people. And then anything in between. The two extremes. And then there's this kind of middle we live in sometimes, isn't there? I have a weak, faltering love. Occasionally I'll bust out and sacrifice or make an effort at love like this, this kind of love. Do you know what that shows? It's a warning light on the dashboard of your heart that says you are not living in and letting the gospel deeply and the love of the Father deeply impact and experience your life. And so if you're a believer and you know you're a believer, but love is a struggle then what it's indicating in your heart is that you haven't fully let the richness of the gospel and the Father's goodness and love for you take root. Because our experience of the gospel determines the degree of love that comes out of our life for other people. All right, and so if we don't love, we don't know God. Why? Because God is love. He loves you. He loves you perfectly. He loves you in a way that's not keeping score anymore. He loves you, and there's no test. He loves you. No matter your background, no matter your failures, He loves you. Why? Because He chose to place value on you. Why? Because He chose to place value on you. Why? Because He chose to place value on you. We are worthless globs of mud. Read Genesis chapter 2. You're not that special. I'm not that special. Just because I stand up here every week, I'm not that special. I'm a piece of mud that God breathed into life. Why does he love? Because God is love. And that's good news. Because all it takes is to be you with Jesus stamped over you and God loves you perfectly. And it doesn't take anything extra. It doesn't take anything else. He chose to put his affections on us in Jesus. And if that's his work, then nothing else makes his love go up and nothing else makes his love go down because Jesus has done it all. Let's go to the next point here. God is, God's love is shown and defined by sending Jesus to die to make his enemies children. God's love is shown and defined by sending Jesus to die to give his enemies life. So here's what you're thinking. Well, that'd be great if they were enemies of God. I mean, those bad people over in those other countries, they're enemies of God, right? Should be banned. I'm making political statements here. Right? And so that's not talking about me. That's not talking about my really sweet neighbor that gives me milk when I need it or, you know, they help clean up after the storm. It's not talking about them. They're not enemies of God. They're pretty nice people. I've got lost family, and, man, they're nice to me, and, they, and, and, and I love them, and they love me. It's not talking... Enemies. The Bible defines us apart from Christ in pretty stark terms. 
It defines your nice neighbor and it defines you if you're a good person. It defines us apart from Jesus as enemies. How do you treat your enemies? We attack them, kill them, ostracize them, isolate ourselves from them, get bitter in our hearts against them, think evil about them. How do we treat our enemies? Anything we can do inside or outside of ourselves to attack or to to push away, we do that, right? Think about how gloriously, wonderfully, amazing God is different than us. Like There's nothing more stark in the world than the way God is different from us in this area. You know what God does to his enemies? You. You know what God does to his enemies? Me. You know what God does to his enemies? Sweet neighbor. He sends his only son and kills him for his enemies. He sends his only son and kills him to make his enemies not just tolerated, to make his enemies his children. That's the way God is with his enemies compared to the way we are with our enemies. That's the quality of love you've been loved with. That's how you have been loved. That's the kind and quality and definition of love that then is meant to flow out of your life into the world. An enemy becoming children kind of love. And certainly those who aren't enemies, reducing back from that, loved into loving Jesus, loved into flourishing children of God. Let's look at the text. All right, and so we go in verse 9, and uh, it's hard because my glasses aren't made for small text. I'm sorry. It's a choice. Do I see you or do I see the Bible? Unfortunately, that's a choice I have to make these days. In this is love. Or I'm sorry, no. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world. And so in this text, what we're doing in the first part is we're getting a display of the love of God. How does God demonstrate his love? Does he demonstrate it by simply saying it? Does he demonstrate it as a concept? I want you to learn in class that, you're, that, that I love you. No, he shows it. He puts work gloves on his love and he puts it in concrete action and he displays it in the form of a cross. And so look at this. In this, the love of God was displayed. It was demonstrated. It was manifested to your sight. This is how the love of God goes into HD in our lives or ultra HD or 4K or whatever the latest technology, the highest resolution you can possibly think of. This is how you see God's love. This is how God puts his love on display for your eyes to see. How? He sends his son into the world. He sends his only son into the world. I want to pull out two words from that to help you kind of increase your understanding of it. The word sent is the word we use for missionary. He apostles his son. That's different than just sending. When you send an apostle, you're sending a missionary on a mission with a purpose and the message or the representation of the person that's sending him. And so Jesus was sent to bring the message of God, the Father, the message of heaven into the world. He had a mission and a purpose that he came for. He was sent by the Father to be a missionary to this earth. And what did he accomplish? What did he bring? What was the message? To give life. That we can have life through him. You know what that implies? You're dead without him. 
Death is not merely a physical state. Death is a realm of existence. It includes corruption and deception and decay and sin and destruction. It is how we live. It is humanity apart from God. And it may look like acceptable decay and destruction, or it may look like ultra unacceptable decay and destruction, but it's death that leads to death. But God sent his world to make dead people live again. Not just live again spiritually, but to live again in flourishing. To live again in life that's really life. To live again. God sent His Son to make dead people live. That's why He came. So that's the display of God's love. And then look at the next part. He defines God's love as well, doesn't He? This is love. In this is Defined, essence, love defined for us. In this is love. Same word that he sent his son to be the propitiation. Now, I imagine that's a word you talked about at dinner last night. Or maybe you spent breakfast conversing with your friends about. But for those of you who didn't do that, let me help you understand what the word is. Because in the first part, we get the incarnation. We get the God becoming flesh as a way of showing his love. In this, we get the definition of love through the atonement, through the cross. And so let's see. Propitiation. I'm going to try to make it as simple as I can. Two concepts. Concept one, the appeasing of wrath. It is to satisfy anger. Concept two, cleanse sin. And so God sent his son into the world with the mission and the purpose of satisfying his rightful anger against your sin and then cleansing, forgiving, washing away your sin by that sacrifice. And so it might be translated atoning sacrifice or wrath-bearing sacrifice. And so God sent his son into the world to take all of his anger against all sin and all time, jump it on the sun at the cross, black out the heavens so that his face is hidden from his son for the first time in all of eternity, where his son cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Blacks out the heavens so that his son can no longer see his face. To satisfy his own anger against you and me. To wash your sin and my sin away from us. So that we might be dearly loved children of God one day. That's why he sent his son. To make enemies. Not servants. To make enemies, not friends. To make enemies. You and me. Children. Dearly loved. Adopted. Perfectly, lavishly, wonderfully loved children that's the definition of love that's the standard of love that's the love that only the gospel can empower in your life as you love people to your own cost and sacrifice as you love people different than you as you love people who are your enemies it is a winning adopting enemies made children kind of love that you have been loved with What stops us from loving people? What stops us from loving people like that? Right? What level of love do you aim for in the gospel? A couple hours a week, maybe a service project here and there. What kind of love do you aim for? I want to be nice to people, to their face at least. What kind of love do you aim for? The kind of amazing love you've been loved with in the gospel. Is that what you're aiming for? Not perfect. Faltering, 
But embracing others, embracing different, sacrificing, serving, loving, caring, showing, displaying love for other people, showing people the Father kind of love for people. Is that what you're aiming for? That's the way you've been loved. And what God has done to you, he wants to do through you. That's the way you've been loved. Go love people like that. Go love people far from God like that. So that they could taste the love of a perfect father that would welcome them into his family too and love them eternally in Jesus like he's loved you. What if you filled your home with love like that? What if your home was a ricocheted bullet of love that had been fired and never stopped because people who are loved, loved? And what if your home was just filled with love and everybody that walked in there experienced it, your kids experienced it? What if your spouse experienced this kind of love for her or him? What if your kids experience this kind of love? Our capacity to transform the world is directly related to our capacity for gospel love experience coming out of our life into loving people around us. What if the church loved like this? What if the culture of the church was we are so loved that we are going to find ways, we are going to search for ways to fire love at other people? And the whole church just becomes this culture of loving and blessing and loving and blessing and showing the goodness of God to each other. Last step. Our response to God's love is to love others in a way that makes the unseen God seen. Our response to God's love is to love others in a way that makes the unseen God seen. Have you ever had this thought or some version of it? I just don't feel close to God. I just don't feel close to God. I don't feel that God loves me. I don't feel that God is close to me. I am missing my experience of God. Or maybe it's this way. God feels so distant from me. Is it possible that the reason our experience of God struggles is because we as people are not coming and loving each other in a way that shows God to each other? I don't feel God is so distant. Well, what if, a, what if we had a church that was filled with walking into people's lives and just loving in a way that so, so shows Jesus off? Because that's the way God designed it. He designed you to experience Him and to experience His love through His family. That's you. And so could it be the drought and the distance that we experience as so much of our Christian life is it because of drought of each of us not doing our part to love each other well? Could it be that we're not displaying the glory of God in each other's lives through tangible, practical, simple acts of love over and over again? What does it say to us? If we're loved, will we love others? If we're loved this way, if we're served this way, if we're cared for this way, then God wants to go show himself to the struggling and go show himself to the discouraged and go show himself to the distant and go show himself to the ones that need growth. And to go show himself to the one who are weary on the road of life. To go show himself off. How? By a blazing thing in the sky? No. By the simple act of you walking beside them and loving them. Walking beside them and serving them. Walking beside them and listening to them. That's how he wants to say, here I'm God and I'm glorious. But he doesn't get to show himself off as glorious as much as he could. Because we won't take the time. Because we're too busy. Because it's a little uncomfortable to go do that. We get the good privilege of saying, here's what God's like. I want you to taste him. And you're going to taste him by the way I love you and serve you. 
That's the closing part of the text here. As he goes on, Beloved, if God so loved us, if he loved us in this way, how did God love us? He is love, his nature. How did he love us? He sent his son. How did he love us? He brought us from death to life. How did he love us? He satisfied his own wrath against our sin by his own sacrifice. How did he love us? He cleansed our sin away and every barrier between you and him is gone and he now sees you as perfect and sees you like he sees his own beloved son and loves you that way. How did he love us? If God so loved you, if he loved you that way, then we ought, the word ought puts an obligation on us. We ought, not because of a mere demand, we ought because we can't contain love like that without it overflowing into our lives and the lives of others. We ought, there's an inner compulsion to love this way because we can't contain infinite, immense, never-ending flow of love in our lives. We can't contain it. And if we do, it will turn sour and bitter and death-causing. But if we don't, because we can't, it will flow out of our lives and it will give lives to people around us. It will take the parched world and let them drink of the water of life. It will take that which is in us and it will flow up into rivers of living water so that the Holy Spirit flows out of our lives into the lives of others. That's what will happen. If you've been loved this way, you can't contain it. If you've been loved by an infinite God, you can't contain it. If Dad loves you this way, you can't contain it. And if you try, it's going to destroy you. And it's going to cut people off from seeing Him. Which is even worse. Look at the last part. Look at what he says. No one has ever seen God. No one has beheld with unveiled glory God. If we love one another. That's a strange transition. Y'all may not think this way, so I want you to think this way. No one has seen God if we love one another. Like that's, that's a really big turn. Why? Here's what I think. The implication of the turn is this. You have not beheld with unveiled glory God. But when we, lo- when we love one another, we unveil the glory of God and people see him. You can't see God. Oh, but when we love each other. God becomes visible. God is seen. And he is increasingly unveiled before the eyes of people who are struggling and hurting. And he's unveiled before the eyes of those who are weary. And he's unveiled before the eyes of those who are discouraged. And he's unveiled before the eyes of who love his glory and want more of it. And so those who are loved have an obligation of saying, here's what God's like. No one's seen him, but I'm going to love you in a way that shows him off. And God comes and he abides in us. He makes his home in us. He lives at home with us, his family. He abides. And then the last word, and his love is perfected. This is the finishing part. God is love. God has loved you in Jesus actively. You are one who has been dearly loved by God. What's the last step of that? Love others. That brings it to completion, perfection. How does the nature of God come to perfection in the lives of people? By feeling his love? No. How does the nature of the God who is love come to perfection and completion? Love other people. You've brought it to maturity. You've brought it into the world. The God who is love, who has loved you, his love comes out of you. Love is perfected at that point. A couple practical things as we close. Here we go. Sorry. Examine your belief and experience of God's love in the gospel. I am thoroughly convinced that this is the essential missing piece. Examine your belief and experience in God's love for you in the gospel. So I'm going to start with belief. Do you believe that God loves you? 
Or do you believe he's tolerating you? Do you believe he's scowling at you from heaven? Do you believe that he's ready to zap you? Or do you believe that you have been so lavishly loved by a father, by a dad? Do you believe it and then experience it? Have you tasted the love of God lately? Through abiding in his presence, through abiding in his word, through slowing down and looking? Have you tasted the experience of the love of the Father through the love of people around you? Have you tasted the experience of the love of the Father? Because what we don't have, what we don't experience, it won't come out in our lives. God loves you. Believe it. God desires for you to wash over you with his love. Experience it. Because then it will come out. Second practical thing, find three ways to practically bless and serve people. This is from a book we're reading on Wednesday nights. It challenges us to just find practical ways to love and bless people around us. It could be a thousand different things. Just think small, simple, practical, tangible ways of loving people around you. Listening to them, serving them, giving to them, words of encouragement, affirming them, whatever it is. And make sure one of those is somebody that doesn't know Jesus. Find three or four tangible ways to love people this week and make sure one of the people that, that experienced that is somebody that doesn't know Jesus. It would be my challenge to you. Because we're starting to make the unseen God seen as we walk into a world and say, here's what it's like to be loved. Here's what it's like to be loved by a father whose love is so perfect and unrelenting. Last application, we're asking you throughout the next months, identify two people that you will seek to serve and to share the gospel with. Identify two people. God is love. God actively loves you. Now go love like it. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bow as those loved by a perfect father. I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room who've not tasted that in a while. Would you grant them to taste it now? Would you grant us to show it to them now? Father, I pray for those who are hurt, those who have seen you wrongly, those who have been taught by people like me a wrong view of you. God, would you erase it and just by your Holy Spirit and word, show them you are love. You are Father. And it's good. Father, would you rescue people from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the king of your loved son? Would you rescue people today? Would you send us in a world that desperately needs this kind of love? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.